Okay, so we're continuing Romans chapter 12, and, and I'll be honest with you, when we got to Romans chapter 12, I knew, I understood that we would slow down our, our lessons, uh, that we get several lessons out of chapter 12, I should say. Uh, however, I didn't expect to slow down quite as much as I have, because today we're only going to tackle one verse, and that's verse number three. I think it will speed up a little bit following this lesson. Uh, for instance, next, next week we should cover several verses, uh, verses 4 through 8 at least, and we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I don't know if it will be all-encompassing lesson on the gifts of the Spirit, but we'll talk about the ones that are mentioned in chapter 12 of Romans at least. Well, verse 2 of Romans, uh, chapter 12, instructed us to renew our minds. And when we last spoke on Romans... It's been a couple of weeks, and thank you, Billy, for filling in while I was away. Uh, we talked about the renewing of the minds and how this really relates more to our thinking and how God is directing us to, to be thinking people and not to be ignorant and not to be uh, uh, just assuming, but to get into the Word of God and to think. And that's what he talks about when he talks about renewing our minds. Verse 3, Paul continues this train of thought in his writing, and we're going to talk today about thinking correctly, and which is to say thinking biblically. So many times, and I didn't plan on saying this, but so many times tradition will sneak in to our thinking. Not all traditions are bad, but some are traditions can be outdated. Uh, some traditions can be bad, they can be out of context, they can be based on bad and false premises. So we need to think correctly, which is to think biblically. Now, how do we do that? Well, we need to study. We need to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, as Timothy writes, or as Paul wrote to Timothy. But we need to do this, we, we need to be able to take the scriptures and to think on them, to dwell on them. So when Paul talks about this thinking correctly, at first mention, it seems very, very broad. And that, man, you, we could just go on for days and days and days. But he, he really boils it down to two points in verse number three. And those are the two points that we're going to talk about. Uh, and it's thinking correctly and speaking in each other's lives. Now, there's a slide presentation here that you can see. And we're going we're gonna to kind of do that as an addendum. And I didn't plan on this, but as I studied the verse earlier in the week and prayed over it, I really felt led to, to talk about this speaking with authority. And so we're going to detour a little bit. I think it is uh, part of the verse, uh, but it, it's kind of a, a honorable mention, if you will. Maybe that's not the right way to say it, but that's the way I'm going to say it. So. So I encourage each of you to read these verses for yourself when we're done in here throughout the week. And, and, and as we're teaching, think on them. Don't take, don't take my word for things, first of all. Uh, I want to be honest and I want to be truthful. I want to be accurate. I want to be biblical above all. But I'm fallible. I, I make mistakes. And, I, and sometimes I might be on the, on the money. I might be truthful. I might be biblical. But maybe I don't expand the thought enough. And the Holy Spirit may have more for you. And so I want you to go back. I want you to think on the things that we say in here. I want you to read. And I want you to explore. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here in verses 2 and 3 of Romans chapter 12. 
Well, let's go back and begin at verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 3, and then we'll make our comments on the lesson. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In our text for today, verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Of faith. So, Paul is going to talk about thinking correctly. And he is speaking to the church with authority. And this is where we're going to start the lesson today with this little slideshow, this little addendum, uh, speaking with authority. And when I, when I, usually when I read over this passage, I'm, I'm thinking in the terms of, well, Paul is writing as an apostle and he is speaking with that authority. And that's true and that's accurate. But as I read it this time and as I prayed over it, Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart about us speaking to one another as Christian, just believer to believer, and how that carries some authority as well. And so we're going to look at that. Again, Romans 12, 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me. And, and that, that kind of leapt off the page for me, because even Paul as an apostle, he is speaking because of grace. He's speaking, he's allowed to speak with this authority um, that... It's because it comes with that office of being an apostle, and we understand that. We know that an apostle is a special called minister of God, right? It, it was one who had a face-to-face -face encounter with Christ. Uh, it was one who had a specific calling and was giving specific gifts. And if you've been in this class long enough, you know that I always throw a warning in here. If anybody today tells you they're an apostle, Probably the best policy is to just nod and move along and don't listen to them. Uh, the office of apostleship is no longer needed. What was the what was the primary re, what was the primary reason for the establishment of apostles? There's there's a couple of them. Anybody? Well, first of all, it was the writing of the New Testament. God chose these these men primarily to write the New Testament books. And so, much like the prophets of old, they were writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the very words of God. And this is where it gets tricky. When somebody starts calling themselves an apostle today, more times than not, it's a person who wants to tell you that they can speak on behalf of God with that authority. And that just ain't so, folks. The Word of God is complete. It is settled. It is your guide. It is your authority. And so understand that. And Paul is able to write and speak to the church at Rome with that kind of authority. So we understand that. And so when I talk about us speaking to one another with authority, please do not confuse those two things. There is an authority, but not an apostolic authority. You do not carry the transcribed words of God on your tongue, so on your lips, okay? So we're not saying that. We would never say that. But Paul did, and he wrote with that authority. Uh, and so when he's speaking and talking about being able to speak because of grace, 
He does so with the authority of an apostle. But we also, as fellow believers, can and should speak to one another with a measure of spiritual authority. Let me say that again, because I don't think most of us have even considered that. When we speak to one another, brother to brother, sister to sister, whatever the case may be, if we're speaking with, with spiritual things, now I'm not talking about talking about where you want to go get your next hamburger or what you want for Christmas and things like that, but when you're, when you're speaking of, of things of the Spirit of God, of the Word of God, you are speaking with a certain measure of authority. And therefore, we should be careful, shouldn't we? We, we? Now, we should be bold, and we're going to talk about that too, but we should also be careful because there is a measure of authority that we speak with. Uh, several verses will, will, will bring this out to us. First Thessalonians 5, 11 says, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also <coughs> doing. So we're directed directly in, in Thessalonians to speak to one another. And, and I don't want you to raise your hands or, or comment necessarily, but think for just a moment. Let's pause for just a moment. And how much of your time do you use to speak to other Christians and edify them, to lift them up, to comfort them? I don't do enough of it. I can tell you that. I'll, I'll be honest, and I'll just go ahead and, and get on record and say that. I don't do enough. And Scripture tells us in several places that we should do this. What does it require for us to do that? Well, first we have to, it's, a, it's always a sacrifice, isn't it? We have to take time. We have to, at the very minimum, we have to sacrifice some time. We have to stop what we're doing. We have to put other things aside, and we need to be intentional. Now, sometimes it'll just run in front of you and somebody will present or they'll come to you with a problem. But you know, we can reach out beyond that and we should reach out beyond that. And that carries a spiritual authority. Do you realize that? You, you have a commission as a believer. You don't need to be a missionary, a, a Bible teacher, a, a pastor, or anything like that. But as a believer in Christ, as a brother and sister in the family, you need to seek out, reach out, and comfort one another. Edify one another. When you're discouraged, does it or does it not encourage you if somebody out of the blue, a brother in Christ, says, calls you up or texts you or in some manner reaches out and encourages you and says, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you. Is there something I can do for you in this situation? Even if there's nothing else you need other than that prayer, is that not an encouragement? Of course it is. And we should do that. We, we shouldn't just do it because it sounds nice. We shouldn't do it because of etiquette. We should do it because it's biblical. God says, do this. The Holy Spirit says, do this. And so don't read over this as if it's a Hallmark verse. It, it's, it, I thought that would get a better laugh, but anyway, I like it. It's, 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 a, it's a directive from God to comfort one another. Therefore, it comes with some authority, and with authority also comes responsibility, correct? There we go. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, 19 through 25. Now, I didn't put the whole ver the section up here because it's, it's lengthy and for sake of time, but I, I pulled these two things out. This passage talks about speaking of boldness 
and then entering into the holy, holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that, that's the context of this passage. It's talking about a holy boldness of how a believer can enter into the holiest of holies. Now, let's, let, let's reach back now. Old Testament, Hebrew, this is why I love Hebrews, because it's such a picture and a type of the Old Testament. It, it explains the, how the Old Testament was the picture and the type, I should say. And so, Old Testament, the, the tabernacle, the temple, what is the Holy of Holies? Oh, Pardon? Yeah, so it's that back chamber where the Ark of the Covenant is and the Spirit of the Lord, uh, uh, Jehovah Jireh, is there. And who got to go into that holiest of holies? The high priest only, right? And how many times did the high priest go? Once a year. Once a year. Very good, class. I knew you knew that. And you better, yes, right. You better do it correctly. You better cleanse yourself. You better bring the blood. There's a whole problem. And, and by the way, they tied a rope around his waist in case something went wrong and he touched something you shouldn't do because he would drop dead, correctly? Now, now this is where it, it breaks off from being a metaphor. Hebrews is saying now, because of the blood of Christ, if you're a believer, the blood of Christ is applied, and this is not metaphor, by the way. This, this, is, this is literal. You have access. Again, we're talking about authority, right? Authority to speak. You have this authority because you can enter into the holiest through the blood of Jesus Christ. This same passage goes on to say, and command us to consider one another and stir up Love and good works. So in the last passage, Thessalonians, it talked about edifying, comforting. Here it's saying, stir up. So you don't have to wait till somebody needs to be edified or comforted in their mind. But you can, you can pray and, and God can put somebody on your mind. And you can say, hey, you know, I just want to encourage you to, uh, Lisa, you're doing night to shine. That's great. You're pouring hours in. Man, keep it up. What can we do? Uh, what can we pray more for you? What needs to be done? Casey, you're organizing this this uh, benefit to to raise this money. Keep doing things like that. Praise the Lord for you. Encourage one another. Find you a student who's struggling and reach out to them and say, Hey, keep it up. Keep doing it. You know. The things that we can, we can do that and we can encourage and we should encourage one another, says Hebrews chapter 10, and stir each other up. What, what mental image do you get when I say stir each other up? Uh, for me, it's, I've got a fire pit in this, behind my house. And I love to build a little fire and sit out there in the evening and look at the stars. And there's an old time radio show I listen to uh, called A Prairie Home Companion. And, uh, man, I, that's just good stuff to me. But that fire will burn down. And, and the flame will die down as those logs uh, continue to burn. But I can take a, a, a hoe or a poker and I can what? Stir that thing up. That's right. I prod it and the sparks fly up and the flames shoot up again. That's what it's talking about. Stir one another up to these good works that we continue on in the work of Christ. And you have the authority to do those things. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice I didn't highlight bear one another's burdens. That's normally the focus of this verse. We, we, we hear that a lot, don't we? Bear one another's burdens. And that's good and that's great. But notice what it said. In doing so, we do what? We fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, the pattern of Christ, the things that Christ did, what Christ was about. How do we do it? Well, again, it's this reaching out, this speaking in authority to one another. What burden do you have? How can I bear this with you? What can I do to, to help you? Uh, maybe you have a, a, a family uh, uh, in the church you know goes on vacation. They're having a hard time. You slip over there while they're gone and you mow their grass. When they come home, the lawn's taken care of. I know that's not direct speech, but it, that speaks into their lives. Or other, or you prepare a meal. I love the meal train, and you, you ladies do a tremendous, tremendous job of that in this class. I hear comments on that every single time when somebody's on the other side of it. In fact, I, I think it was the Mayos who said, man, we've been on the other side of that, giving the meal, but when y'all reached out and blessed us, we, we, understood, we get it now. Folks, that, that means something. And when you do that, it's not just nice, but it's with authority. It's what we should do. It's bearing one another's burdens. So let's talk about the context or the bookends of that verse. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So before this bear one another's burdens, we have this uh, verse 1. It's talking about someone who's fallen into a trespass, someone who's in sin, a brother in Christ. Now it doesn't say, well, let's, let's do the other book again before we go on. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So it's warning against arrogance. So what does it not say if somebody's in sin, in a trespass? Again, we're talking about speaking into one another's lives with authority. Does it say that we go to them and we beat them up and we ridicule them and we run them down and tell them what a lousy Christian they are? No, it says the opposite of that, doesn't it? It says be careful because, you know, <laughs> you're no better. Does it say we, we talk to everybody but them and talk about that trespass and that sin and that weakness? which is a temptation, if we're honest, to all of us. Well, we don't think it is. We don't, half the time, we don't even realize we're doing it properly. But that's not what the Scripture says do, is it? No. The, the book ends of that verse is talking about someone who is struggling, someone, a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with sin. And it, obviously, it's an open sin because others know about it. And what does Galatians say to do with that? Help bear the burden of that. How, whatever's appropriate there. However that works. And, and, and to, so in doing so, you fulfill the law. And sometimes that does mean confrontation. That means going to somebody. Matthew talks about how you do that. There's a process for that. And, there's a, it's, a, and it's a general process. And it's a biblical process. And, and it's a, it's a prayer-intensive process. But there is a process for that. But we're not to just ignore it. We're to speak into one another's lives. 
we've got to get this in our mind because it's a hard thing to do. It's an awkward thing to do sometimes. The encouraging verses, going and sharing love, uh, for a lot of people, that man, that's a great day. They love doing that kind of stuff. I struggle with it a little bit. I, I'm probably a better rebuker, but... <laughs> But, but I also need to be rebuked. And so that can be a hard thing and an awkward thing. But the Bible doesn't excuse us from doing it, does it? It says that we should do these things if we love one another. So it commands us to do so. Almost done here. A few more verses. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Here we have the contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. Our mouth should be different. The words that we say should be different. We should be a well of life, of encouragement. Uh, man, I got a problem with sarcasm. I'll just be honest with you. You can say amen right there, Lisa. It's, I know I do. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it doesn't excuse you. I need to be a well of life. I need to speak encouragement into other people's lives, into believers' lives, and unbelievers as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Now note that. It doesn't say minister it to the lost, does it? It's, he's talking about, and we should minister to the lost. Of course, we understand that. But this verse from 1 Peter says, As you've received this gift, and, and by the way, this is not a, necessarily a permanent, this could be a gift of the moment. A gift that you don't normally have, but it's the Holy Spirit prompts you, in other words. Don't think, well, that's just my emotions, or that's just a thought in my head. No, follow through with that and minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What does it mean to be a steward? Well, it means to possess something and to manage it on behalf of the another. So this is talking about managing, possessing the grace of God, steward administering it as God directs. And it says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. There's the authority. That word oracles, it, it means uh, of having authority, of, of permitting authority. And giving it has a lot of meanings. I encourage you to look it up. But it, it's talking about speaking uh, with authority as God applies the ability. And so we need to be consciously speaking into one another's lives. We don't need to put this off. We don't need to not do this. We need to be proactive in this, speaking to one another's lives. And this class, by the way, let me say this. This class does a pretty good job of that. We could probably do more. We can always get better. But this is a fairly encouraging group to one another. And we certainly are when needs are brought before us. But, and again... I'm not pointing at you, I'm pointing at me. How proactive am I at that? Can I do more? I should do more. Can I do more? His word is the source of our authority. Psalms 138.2 says, For you have magnified your word above your name. The word of God is a holy, holy book. It is the words of God. And then when you speak to one another biblically, and I don't mean just quoting verses, but in, in speaking in the context of Scripture and doing the things that you know that you should do, whether it's rebuking sin or encouraging to good works and to love, to edification, whatever the case may be, 
as we just read in these verses, you do so with the authority of the word of God. And that's just believer to believer. I'm not talking about any church office. I'm just talking you to me, me to you. And that's it. That carries an authority with it. And with an authority comes a responsibility to fulfill. And so don't forget these things. Um, the, the, I think I just said this. The authority with which one believer speaks to another is the authority of Scripture. And therefore, we should be bold and speak in love. Uh, obviously, pastors, elders, uh, they're commissioned to speak with authority. James chapter 3 talks about this and warns that they carry an even greater responsibility because of that office. And as we think of those things, first of all, we should be edifying and encouraging our pastors, our teachers, our, our leaders. But that carries a, a greater responsibility, does it not? The scripture says it does in James chapter 3. So what should we be doing all the more so? We should be praying for them in, in that regard. Not just that they are nice and that they have good days and sun shines on them, but that they are careful with their study, with their preparation, with their speech. You lift them up. Because I promise you Satan's attacking them in that regard. I, 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 I can guarantee that to you. Lastly, the apostles spoke to the church with the greatest authority. They were given a unique calling of God. And they were commissioned to speak on behalf of God. So they were given unique spiritual gifts and literally spoke and wrote the words and doctrines of God. And that's the difference of the apostle office. And so, again, that, I've already given that warning. Always be weary of somebody who says, or leery of someone who says, you know, I'm, I'm an apostle, so-and-so, and, and such forth. So that's, that's this uh, uh, speaking with authority. But he also talks about thinking with humility, also in the same verse. And I'm about out of time. I knew that would be long, but I didn't know it would be this long. He talks about thinking with humility. We're going to run through this. Somebody turn to Titus chapter 2. I'm not ready for it yet, but just kind of, kind of get there. And I'm, uh, I may have you read in just a minute. But thinking with humility. He, he talks about, in the first part of verse 3, he says, For I say through grace. So that's the speaking. But then he says that you know, we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. So humility... Now, Paul received his humility at his conversion. You know that the story of Saul as he went on the road to Damascus, this Pharisee, this young superstar Pharisee, uh, and he was, you know, he was the up-and-coming guy, and he was the one that everybody was looking to to carry the torch on, and he met somebody on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him, and he got an extreme and drastic dose of humility over the next week. And he carried that through him for the rest of his ministry. And, and, you know, you can see that in his writing. Paul was extremely educated, extremely successful, extremely driven. But he never lost that humility. And he writes to the church at Rome and says that we must also be humbled. We must do so with humility and not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Now, my mother came with her the opposite end of this 
spectrum. She was always down on herself. She, oh, I, you know, she, that's not humility. Paul was never shy. He never backed away from his gifts. He was never necessarily down on it. He said, I'm the chief of sinners, but he did so as he instructed us, right? And so he used his, if you go to the opposite end of that extreme and think, well, I'm just no good. Nobody's ever going to need me, yada, 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 yada. That's bunk. And what will happen is Satan will use that and you will never feel worthy to use your spiritual gifts and reach out to others. So don't do that. At the same time, Paul, with all his spiritual gifts and his success, didn't get the big heads in the ministry the way he had it when he was a Pharisee. So he understood that the things that he was able to do, he did through grace, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They weren't his. They were given to him. And so that's where his humility came from. He says the same way, uh, we should be the same without letting that muzzle our beliefs. Now, who's got Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10? I got, okay, just a moment. I'm going to have you read that. So he goes on to say in here uh, to, about thinking soberly. Read chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 of Titus, please. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be relevant in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to what much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own households, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Thank you. So, quickly, and I'm out of time. I've got to rush through this. But if we're going to speak correctly to one another, if we're going to encourage one another, if we're going to uh, uh, confront one another, if we're going to do so with the thought, we, <coughs> we have to think correctly. And the key word here is think soberly. That, that, that's where it all stems from. And, and in Titus, we're given, Paul writes to Titus, and he, he's telling him how to instruct different groups of people to think. To the old man, he said, be sober. And when he says old man, he means the, the mature, the established men. Not ancient necessarily, but, but the, the more mature men, the family men, the, the, those who have families and uh, are established. He said, think soberly. In other words, control your thinking. There's a process, and there's a lot to that word sober. Uh, and it has nothing to do with alcohol whatsoever, but it, it's a pattern of thinking and keeping things in perspective. Then what does he say to the women? Did you catch that? He said, let the older women teach the younger women to, to give them guidance. Ladies, 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 do that. Reach out to young women and, and help them figure out us guys. That's part of it. That's not all of it, but help them figure out themselves. And, and, you know, we, we think so, so differently. And, there, and, it, and there's, the, there's wisdom here. 
that the, you, you ladies should re- find, and they may not have the courage to come up to you. Find a young lady and, and take her out for a cup of coffee or, 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 or some way sit down with her and say, hey, I'm here for you. You know what? You have questions. If you just want to chat, if you want to do that, don't think that you don't have the experience and the wisdom to do it. You do, ladies. We need you to do that and reach that younger generation. And then there's a word to young men, and I, and I love this. And, and guys, I was thinking about you this week. You was on my mind as as I studied this and I read this. Um, and there there's a direction to you uh, that that you are to. Uh, I'm trying to trying to find it here. Yes, verse six. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In this same period, guys, you're in this transition of life, and start to learn to be sober-minded. And man, what great resources you have sitting right there beside you! But there's resources in this room too. And don't think you can't reach out because you can. You are a part of this room, and we love you. And I'm excited about what God's going to do in your life. But you you got to now start thinking, learn to think soberly. Why? Because you're moving from being a child into a man. And, and I don't, not just in maturity, but in responsibilities. Your responsibility over the next few years are going to change progressively. Guys, can I get a witness? <laughs> Lot bills, fuel bills, insurance, buying houses, finding a woman, all these things. And then trying to figure that out. It requires sober thinking. Learn that, guys. That's, this is what it's saying. How do we do this? We speak to one another with authority. Reach out. Older to younger, younger to older. Don't be shy. Don't withhold. You have a gift to give. Share it among the brethren. I love you. Get out of here. That's all I got for you.